Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Hello, everybody, and thank you for that beautiful standing ovation. Welcome to another episode of The Towel Boys. It's Andy here, joined with Landon. Landon, we are in the midst of the NBA playoffs. The Eastern Conference Finals are currently taking place. The Western Conference Finals just ended, and we now see one of the two teams that will be competing in the NBA Finals, the Phoenix Suns. So let's jump right into that series, talk about some of the things we saw some of the biggest takeaways, and really just what we think we will see from the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. So Landon, what were your initial thoughts on that Clippers-Suns series now that it's over? So CP3 is game six, the closeout game. We'll cover up how bad he was in the earlier parts of that series. I just want to reference that because I feel like the CP3 love, while I am on board with it, is a little out of hand and not really focusing on the whole picture, which is that this guy has choked a lot in the past. He hasn't even been perfect this year in the playoffs, whatnot. That was a very broken Clippers team. I did not think they were overly impressive. And while I was really happy for CP3 and whatnot, I just thought that it's necessary to bring up that he was struggling running the offense earlier in that series, which was unusual for him. I think. Aside from that negativity, I want to get past that and move on to some positive stuff. DeAndre Ayton is the takeaway from this series. And the reason is, uh, there was a lot of controversy when he got selected over Luka Doncic and over Trey Young. And while both of those guys are incredible NBA players, there is an argument that DeAndre Ayton did end up being the correct guy to get for the Phoenix Suns because they eventually fell into Chris Paul and now they could win an NBA championship. Whereas with Luka, maybe you don't go out and get Chris Paul and maybe you're still three, four years away from actually competing with just Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. I really think that DeAndre Ayton could come out being just as good of a pick as Luka and Trey in terms of relative for what the team needed and for what they accomplish now and in the future. If you win a title, everything's off the table. There's no more, that was a bad pick. You have an NBA championship. Exactly. So, so Landon, you make a good point where, of course, Luka Doncic is a better player than DeAndre Ayton. No doubt. Of course, Trey Young is a better player than DeAndre Ayton. Right. I don't think it's really that's even arguable either. But you look at what the Suns needed and how they now have these 3 and D wings with an all-star duo in the backcourt in Devin Booker and Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton is that perfect piece. He plays really good defense. He's an absolutely incredible screen setter, which is the perfect center for Chris Paul and Devin Booker to get off their guy, hit mid-range shots. He's really good around the rim, has really good touch, and he's getting better each and every game. 
Yes. And each and every game, I'm saying he's not aggressive enough. DeAndre Ayton's playing against Zubach, Marcus Morris at times. He is bigger, longer. He's a 7'6 wingspan, better than these guys, and he needs to shoot even more. But I see what you're saying. DeAndre Ayton has been unbelievable for the Suns, a perfect fit this season. However, I don't necessarily, I would not go as far to say it, he may end up being a better pick than Luka Doncic in my mind. Because not a better I pick. Think, yeah. But even given the situation, if Luka wins multiple MVPs and eventually wins a title, even if Aiton seemed like the right fit on this team, I still don't know if it'll be a better pick. But nobody knew Luka would turn out to be this way. It's not one of those picks where it's a, it's not a Darko Milicic, you missed out on a guy and your guy is bad. It is a, you missed out on Luka, but you have a future all-star instead. So I'm in, I'm in the midst of watching the 2004 finals, like I, I told you before. And I just saw Milicic get about two minutes at the end of one of the finals <laughs> games in garbage time. And I was just like, man, imagine if that was Wade or LeBron or Carmelo or something. I guess LeBron was off the table, but Wade, Carmelo, one of those guys, Bosch. I mean, God, the 04 Pistons would have just been unbelievable, more so than they already were, which was a championship yeah. team. Yeah, imagine Melo slotting in at that three and bringing like Tayshawn Prince off oh the bench my God. or something. Yeah, like, no, that would that be insane. Yeah, Tayshawn Prince just reminds me of this perfect like six man that can yeah. just be a stud. Like, he was Dian up Kobe back in the day, though. I will say yeah, he was great. Yep. Those teams are awesome. Yep. But, All right. So back going to back, Aiton. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to jump back to the Chris Paul point, but you go, go ahead with Aiton first. Okay. So what I was going to say about Aiton is. There are these like three distinct tiers now, or maybe not tiers, but sections for the six best centers in the league. To me, Jokic and Embiid are grouped together in the big Eight, lumbering center, like yeah. offensively incredibly skilled. They do it all. Right. They're just the guys. You have the new modern centers like Bam and Ayton who can switch onto perimeter players who are incredibly athletic, who have great touch around the rim, maybe not as developed an offensive game as those first two guys, but they can still get buckets when you need them to. And then the last tier is the two specialty guys. So I have Cat in here because he is just an offensive monster, being able to stretch the floor and do all types of you know offensive moves, whether it's passing, whether it's posting up he just has everything in his bag and then Gobert as the defensive specialist and if you ask me to rank these guys right now and be or sorry and beat and Jokic go one and two whatever order you can choose for yourself I would go Jokic one at this point and be two Bam and Aiton would come three and four and you can say that's an overreaction but I've watched Rudy Gobert struggle the past few years in the playoffs, and I've never been a Gobert guy, so it's not even close for me now that I've seen this from Aiton. I would take Aiton in a heartbeat. The cat thing, it's kind of the same with Aiton. Just like we've seen Gobert struggle to play good offense, we've seen Cat struggle to play good defense, and he, ha he hasn't led his teams anywhere in the, in the NBA yet. So until we see something from Cat, I have Aiton ranked as the fourth I'm going to keep him behind Bam, but it's not by a big amount. I'm going to have Aiton as the fourth best center heading into next year. I don't totally disagree with the take. 
and I see where you're coming from. However, I'd like to point out and have you remember that DeAndre Ayton this year has Chris Paul feeding him the ball. Correct. It is a lot easier to have a good enough on paper offensive game when you have that level of attention on Chris Paul, on Devin Booker, and your shot selection is a lot easier. Completely agree. So I don't trust DeAndre Ayton's offensive game. Now, he is certainly a better perimeter defender than Rudy Gobert. We've seen Gobert get picked apart by the Clippers, and now Aiton, Aiton did his job. He was he was definitely serviceable. I saw in Game 6, Reggie Jackson chuck up five terrible shots over Aiton's outstretched arms. Exactly. All of them looked horrible. So, defensively, of course, Gobert has the best rim protection in the league, but Aiton makes up ground everywhere else. However, I don't know how much better Aiton's game is than Rudy Gobert's. Yes, his touch is way better, but I don't think he's aggressive enough, similar to the Bam argument. I don't think DeAndre Aiton is aggressive enough to say his offense of impact puts him above a guy like Rudy Gobert for me. He's still right behind Gobert and Cat. I have Cat above Gobert. I have Bam above both of them just because Bam is more of a passer and an all-around guy. But Aiton is slowly catching up, excuse me, not slowly, quickly catching up to these guys. Talk, I'm, I got Rudy Gobert's speed in my mind. Talk about slow. But he's he's right there. And by next year, maybe Aiton's three, four. I don't know. But there really is a top six. Aiton has completely pushed aside Vooch. I yep. love Vucevic. He's not there anymore. The defense isn't there. I don't trust the offense, especially in the playoffs. He hasn't really been there. So Aiton is definitely a top six center and all the props in the world to this young kid who I think is still 22 years old. He's been outstanding. Right. All right. Now hit on the CP3 thing that you were going to say. Right. So Chris Paul in the first couple games against the Clippers when he played, he shot horribly. Five of 19 and six of 22. Those are terrible. But he is coming off an injury. So while I... I'm not excusing him for not shooting well, and he didn't even have that huge of an impact in some of those Lakers games. In the first three games, the most shots he took was eight. So I'm not excusing him, but at the same time, it stinks that he's hurt because I don't think Chris Paul is a choker. I've seen him in clutch moments step up, and I'm happy that in the Denver series, we saw a full Chris Paul display where he was outstanding all four games, and also seeing him come back, even in game five against the Clippers, he was eight of 19, which isn't great, but it's enough. His whole team wasn't shooting well. He started to get back into rhythm, and then we saw the game six explosion. So I expect Chris Paul to come out in the finals incredibly clutch, and I think the Suns are going to go ahead and win that finals, which we could talk about later, but Chris Paul, I think, is at a very good postseason. He's just been, he's struggled a little bit with injuries and staying on the court, which seems to be an issue the past couple of championship teams he's been on with the Rockets when they lost the Warriors and now so hopefully he stays healthy for the finals and if that's the case I don't really see the Suns losing to either team in all fairness he did have COVID it wasn't an injury so that's fair the injury was prior you're right right rusty Um, not hurt on the Clippers side the most interesting thing here is actually for the postseason I mean I guess the Reggie Jackson stuff is a pretty big deal because he did really go off. I don't know if that's going to translate it to future years. It might have just been a special circumstance. But I just want to touch on this Kawhi thing because a lot of people are talking about it. 
he will probably extend with the Clippers. It just makes too much sense not to. I don't really imagine him finding a better situation elsewhere without compromising either money or his, you know, luxurious injury treatments or whatever he (laughs) desired when he went to the Clippers over the Lakers and the Raptors. He's home there too. There's just a lot going for him there. I imagine he'll stay. But what I do feel now is an overwhelming sense that the Clippers will not win a title with Kawhi and Paul George, even if they both stay. Despite them making the conference finals this year, I just don't trust Paul George even after some of those performances. And while he has flipped the script a good amount, I think that I would still take a good amount of players over him. This is what happened. Kawhi goes down, and the Clippers, right at that moment, their expectations have hit the floor. They have no more expectations. They should lose to the Jazz. They shouldn't win any more games. They are not good without Kawhi. So Paul George doesn't have any pressure. (laughs) Right. Pandemic P doesn't have to worry about anything. If Pandemic P plays like Pandemic P, who cares? Kawhi was out. They were done. He was trying to force the issue. Right. Now, Paul George was awesome. He he stepped up. Reggie Jackson stepped up. Marcus Morris stepped up. The whole team stepped up. And they beat the Jazz. And then they really gave the Suns a good series, too. But, yeah, right. I, it just, I like you said, I don't trust Paul George when the moment is brightest, when he needs to step up. If Kawhi is healthy, it's a game seven in the West Finals and the Finals. I don't trust Paul George to be really good. I just don't. No, it's it's an interesting point. He was playing with house money in a way. Like, no matter how good or how bad he was, the season didn't matter because Kawhi wasn't going to be healthy and they weren't going to win anything anyways. So when you're playing without that pressure of having a 3-1 lead against the Nuggets or, you know, playing against the young Jazz team when you have two uh, perennial all-stars on your team, This year didn't have any pressure like that because Kawhi wasn't on the floor. So he balled out. And I want to say, like, I was wrong in some capacity about him because I didn't think he had that huge 40-whatever point game in the elimination or possible elimination game against um, the Suns. But he did that, and it was impressive, and he deserves props. It doesn't change the fact that next year, when Kawhi's back and they're battling for a championship again, I still trust LeBron and Anthony Davis more than I trust Kawhi and Paul George. Right. And Paul George, remember, in 2023 to 2024, will be making over $45.5 million that one year. So, better step it up and keep playing at that level. Otherwise, it may be one of the worst contracts in the NBA in a couple of years, especially Oof. when Paul George is t- 33, pushing 34. He'll be 34 in that year. Like, that, that's, that's tough. And then he's got At a player option shoot. the year after. At least he can shoot. And then he has a player option for $48.5 million, which He'll take that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Now, there's one specific player on the Clippers that I have no idea how to evaluate now. And that is Reggie Jackson, who signed a minimum salary contract with the Clippers and is now a free agent. So, Landon, where would you, if you were an NBA team 
that could use Reggie Jackson as either a starting point guard or more likely a backup. What would you offer him? What kind of contract would you propose to Reggie Jackson? Um, I think the maximum I would do is like two for 24 or something like that. I, I was wouldn't... thinking, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was thinking a three-year, $30 million, so 10 a year. Pretty close to what you said. Yeah, I said 12 a year. I think the biggest thing is I don't want years on his deal because mm-hmm. he, while he shot well this year, he hasn't been a shooter much of his career. He's relied a lot on athleticism. And if that declines and his shot regresses, that could be an ugly deal that eats away at your cap. So I would be super hesitant to to overpay him because I don't think he'll be worth it down the road. Right. He's on the wrong side of 30 already. And while he did show up, you have to be careful. You don't want to overpay a guy who was awesome in 15 games That's the thing. for him to then be exactly. bad. So I, I agree. But there are a couple of teams that, look, if, if if Dennis Schroeder walks because the Lakers will not pay him that money, and I, I know the Lakers don't have the most salary cap, but if you're the Lakers and you're like, look, at, look how this guy played, like maybe that's a guy you try to sign for seven or eight a year. Who knows? So yeah, there I are mean, a couple of contenders that could use him. All those, all those contenders that need guards, like Philadelphia is a big one, obviously. I don't know what they're going to do on the trade market, but having Reggie Jackson instead of Furkan Korkmaz could go a long way. Um, he will definitely get a much more sizable contract than he would have if they got eliminated in the first round or something. Definitely. Um, all right. Anybody else in the Clippers? Nah, I, I think we're good on that whole series. Um, let's move on to Bucks Hawks, perhaps the most boring conference final series <laughs> I've ever watched. And I don't now, I was excited going in. It's just the stars got hurt, and when you're watching a game with Middleton and Lopez as the best players, it's just not entertaining. It's been a weird series. We start off with a Hawks close win in what may be the best game of the whole series, game one. And from then on out, it's really just each one of these teams is showing up and the other's really not. And that's about it. (laughs) Because it it doesn't seem like we had that ultimate showdown like we had in game one again. It just, it hasn't been there. And a lot of that is due to injuries, but the last couple of games have been awful. (laughs) Oh, they've been ugly. And the thing is, the Bucks are just better. Like, Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Middleton by themselves are just better than anything the Hawks can throw out there. But with these injuries messing up rotations and just being weird, it's opened the door for the Hawks. And they really needed to steal that last game while Giannis wasn't playing because rumors are if the Bucks lose game six. Giannis could very well be back for a game seven. Um, I don't foresee the Hawks beating the Bucks with Giannis in Milwaukee in a game seven. So I really think the Bucks are going to the finals no matter what. But we have seen a lot from this Hawks team that gives me just so much promise for them in the future. Obviously, the Trey Young stuff, but you know, I'm going to say it again. Soon as they got Capella, I was like, John Collins, Capella, Trey Young. That is a trio and a half. And they've really impressed me this year. And the front office surrounding them with those shooters and those defenders, they've just been phenomenal. And like, I wish they were healthy because I think they could have given the Bucks much more trouble if Hunter was in, if Reddish was in the whole series, if 
Trey Young wasn't injured, if Bogdanovich didn't have that knee issue. I mean, they're just getting riddled with every little thing at this point. Right. And I do think that Trey Young is going to play game six. That's, that's what it feels like. He's, he's going to give it his all. He, he's not missing that game. So I, I, I think game six will be close. I do. Well, on paper, Trey Young in a pretty much fully healthy Hawks team, a couple of, couple of uh, smaller injuries, but not holding any guys out, should beat the Bucs without Giannis. But the Bucs last game really, really showed what they got. Brooke Lopez was unbelievable. Middleton and Holiday showed up. The rest of the supporting class played great defense. Bobby Portis was outstanding. And I don't think that's a fluke. The Bucs are really talented. And even without Giannis, they're probably right around where the Hawks are if both teams are playing well. So I think the Hawks will squeak out a game six win, but I do think Milwaukee will take care of business at home. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I just, I think the the Bucks will avoid losing two in a row at this point to to this right. depleted Hawks team. Definitely. Do you have anything more you want to add? I mean, this series isn't overly exciting. I just want to talk about my love for Drew Holiday and yeah, how go for it. he's been great. Game one, it was the Trey Young show. He cooked Drew Holiday so many times. And <laughs> ever since then, Holiday's been outstanding. But not just as a scorer. He's been an unbelievable playmaker. And setting up this whole box offense, it's not running through Giannis or Middleton all the time. Holiday's bringing it up, taking transition threes, slowing it down when he has to. He's really that missing piece the Bucs didn't have last year. And I'm not saying that Drew Holiday alone went from the Bucs losing in five to Miami to sweeping them. But at the same time, he is a big piece. The guy's an all-star. He has been outstanding. And if this Bucs team is healthy... And if Drew Holiday plays pretty well and pressures Chris Paul and Devin Booker, even though I still think the Suns will win, it'll be a very interesting series because that is one heck of a basketball player. I think a lot of people like to focus on Drew's inefficient shooting this postseason. And I think that's a mistake because while he was brought in to provide some perimeter creation that they didn't have before, he re- his biggest use in the Bucks system is pressuring the ball on defense because yes, like he can do a lot on offense, but he usually doesn't need to because Middleton and Giannis handle a lot of those responsibilities. What he provides at the point of attack is something that you don't see like ever. I mean, nobody else does it as good as him in today's era. I've been watching Kobe a lot back in his finals and he provided similar point of attack defense where he was just up in your grill, not only blocking your path, but getting your hand on the ball, getting in the passing lanes, just doing everything to disrupt the other team before they even, you know, cross the three point line. And that is so special for this team that needs that killer instinct that needs some firepower. They, he just creates turnovers. He just creates fast breaks I just think he's phenomenal on that end. And even if he has struggled, I still support that trade that they made for him. 100%. You get your stars to star league and he has helped them without, if no drew holiday, they don't beat the nets. They don't. No, no, it's not even close. Of course not. And that's, that's with Kyrie and Harden on one leg, Kyrie injured and Harden on one leg. If they don't have right. Drew, they lose to that singular Kevin Durant 
based offense, which would have been right. embarrassing. Definitely. But yeah, let's let's just see how the series rides out. Yeah, I mean, if superstar Brooke Lopez shows up again, they're done. Yeah. Let's make a towel boy take of the day. Score prediction for game six. I'll go first. I think this will be a nail biter. The first really good game since game one. Hawks 111, Bucks 109, and we see a game seven. Does Trey Young play? Yes. Okay. If Trey Young plays, does Giannis play? No. Giannis is I think he's doubtful. He he's is doubtful. Okay. Uh I'll go Bucks. I yeah, I'm gonna go Bucks one hundred, Hawks ninety-eight. I agree. I think it's gonna be close, but I think Trey's gonna have a tough time reintegrating himself with everything. Because definitely fair. At this point, they're probably getting used to the offense without him. I know it doesn't seem like a lot of time, but one game without your star player makes it a lot harder to bring a guy in that dominates the ball as much as Trey does because the other guys feel like, you know, they can get it done in their own ways and they want the ball a little more. And when Trey comes back, they're like, wait, why is he taking that half court shot when I could get a wide open three? I just have a feeling that they'll have a little bit of a tough time getting him back and, and having a competent offense. So yeah, I'll pick the Bucks in that game by a little bit well that and trey young still hurt he's going to be true less efficient than he normally is because he's hurt so i i think the hawks sweep it out the hawks at home have been something else great fan base they have a good supporting cast i think they'll step up and yeah it'll be a nail biter though we're going seven though let's bring it sir i i think it could happen but i i don't know I just like the Bucks' ability to close this series out. All right. On to another segment that we're going to do. It's going to be a start bench cut with three up-and-coming stars in the league. One of them we just talked about a lot. The other, we talked about his team a lot, but didn't get to him too much. That is Trey Young, Devin Booker, and Donovan Mitchell. So, Andy, Oof. we're going to give some explanation here. Um, as to which of them are starting, getting benched, getting cut, and why we think so. But just to start it off, who is your start, bench, and cut? Whew. This is difficult. This is very difficult. Because at first, I was Donovan Mitchell 1A, Devin Booker 1B. Trey Young was a C, uh, number three guy. Not even right. close. Right. And this postseason, we've really seen Trey Young show out and show what he's made of. He's been outstanding. It's been really impressive. Um, and it's it's really tough. Let me talk through this. I can't give you an answer right away. Let me talk through it, and then I'll come to my conclusion. Okay. So Fair Devin enough. Booker and Donovan Mitchell are pretty similar players. They're two guards. They're not primary ball handlers and playmakers. They really score the ball first, and they do a damn good job of doing so. Devin Booker is a mid-range sniper. Donovan Mitchell is an explosive guy who has a great three-point shot. But then you have Trey Young, who is not nearly the ISO scorer as those guys, in my opinion. Yeah, he can draw fouls, but the talent of Booker and Mitchell getting to their spots and hitting shots, in my opinion, is just more impressive than, than Trey Young's. 
But Trey Young is a phenomenal playmaker. And if you're asking me who I want to start a team with, he really makes it a debate. But I'm going to stick with what I have come to as my conclusion and say I am starting Devin Booker because what I've seen in this postseason is a lot of heart, passion, leadership, and he is an incredibly clutch player. I am benching Donovan Mitchell because while people for some reason don't respect Mitchell as a player and say Booker is way better, that's not the case. I think it is incredibly close. Mitchell, the leader on the Jazz, he's been super clutch before. We saw the 3-1 blown series, but what we don't really think about is how amazing he was in those games going toe-to-toe with Jamal Murray. And I'm still cutting Trey Young, but he is making it really hard to cut. He's a 30-10 and 10 guy on a team in the Eastern Conference Finals. I cannot believe I'm cutting him, but I think I still am. Wow. It's brutal for Trey. He's made a big name for himself. I know. I don't like doing it. It's really difficult. And they're really close at this point. They are very close. And that's going to lead me to say something that nobody's going to want to hear. I'm starting Donovan opposite. Mitchell. I'm okay. benching Trey Young, and I'm cutting Devin Booker. All and right. The reasoning for the Mitchell thing, people do not understand. It's exactly like what you were saying. They don't understand how special this guy is. He can attack anybody and go right around them without having to do too many fancy dribble moves out of sheer quickness. And once he gets to the rack, he is so explosive that he can jump and throw up any crazy finish you could imagine. And it's likely going in. Beyond that, he's improved his three-point shooting dramatically to the point that he's probably a top five, top seven guy you want taking the last shot from, from three at the end of a game. He's clutch. He's done it in the playoffs over and over again. I've already talked on this pod so many times about his leadership as a rookie taking that team past the OKC Thunder with Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, and Russell Westbrook. I cannot believe that more people don't see how good this guy is. And this year, because Mike Conley was out so much, he had to take on more responsibility, more playmaking duties, get the ball around to make sure his teammates were happy, get his own. And the biggest thing is that when we hit the playoffs, this guy has one of the highest points per game averages ever in the history of the league. He's like up there with like, Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, LeBron James, like that level of scoring. Just brushing over that doesn't do it justice because there are, you can say it's the modern era, there are more points scored, whatever you want, but none of these other guys are up there like that. It's not like he has an amazing team around him. He doesn't have other guys that are taking the pressure off of him, like a Kyrie Irving or a James Harden, for instance. He is ridiculous. So I'm starting him. No regards to Trey Young or Booker. Like, he is the starter for me. The Trey Young Booker thing is different. That's, that's tight in a way that I could have flipped either of them to be in front of the other. The reason I'm picking Trey is because I love how tough he is and how much leadership he provides. What he's done this year, not a lot of guys could do. And I think if Booker was in his position, he would not have been able to do the same. I think Booker feeds off of Chris Paul's energy as a leader, but I think Trey Young is that leader. 
And that is really what flipped it because the numbers and production and all of that, it's pretty similar. Trey Young's a better facilitator and Booker's a better scorer. But yeah, give me Trey for the intangibles. So I'd like to push back on one point you made about Devin Booker. And that's the Chris Paul has really been the guy for carrying this team, developing these players. But we saw the same Phoenix Suns team 8-0 in the bubble before Chris Paul got there. So I think the reason why Donovan Mitchell's playoff stats are so impressive, other than the fact that they actually are, but when you compare him to Booker, they're so impressive because Donovan, excuse me, because Devin Booker hasn't been there. His teams have never been good. Donovan Mitchell has been lucky enough to be born and drafted into this goldmine of a situation with a very solid Jazz team, a very good head coach, and and they've never. I think he's been in the playoffs every year, right? And it's because they have a lot of solid players. Devin Booker hasn't been as fortunate. His team was never that good. So now that I've seen him step up in the playoffs, I've been very impressed given the circumstances and how tough he is and how he fights. And it's no knock on Mitchell. I love Mitchell. It's really close. And maybe it's even recency bias. But the one year, the the bubble and this one playoff run that I've seen from Devin Booker has convinced me that he is the guy and he is legit. I think he's going to go on and win finals MVP even. And again, it's no knock on Donovan Mitchell. But from just what I've seen, I trust this man with the ball with the last shot over pretty much anybody else in the playoffs right now. And it's just that simple. He's been outstanding. Yeah, no, he, all three of these guys are phenomenal and they've all been, you know, especially coming on in the last few years. They are hard to separate. They are definitely in that 10 to 17 range. I mean, you can rank different guys in different spots, but like it's hard to put any of them beyond that, that like outside of superstar technically, but like still like an elite star, I guess. So let me let me throw in a couple of names here, and you could tell me whether you think the neck the name that I bring up is better than all of these guys, worse, or somewhere in between. So let's start with what I think is the most obvious: Paul George. Uh, lower than all of them. I, it's crazy because I thought Paul George was a good eight to ten spots ahead of Trey Young, but yeah, I would take Trey Young over Paul George at this point, from what I've seen of Trey Young in the playoffs, and also a point that we haven't really mentioned. If the officiating is going to favor Trey Young like this, he gets a boost. Yeah, that's but fair. If I mean, the they're NBA changing tightens, the rules, but right. Yeah. But if the NBA tightens up and he only gets to the line half the time, like that changes a lot. But as of now, I would take Trey Young over Paul George. So that's player one. Player two, Kyrie Irving. Uh huh. Tough. I think. I think I would take Mitchell before him, and then I would go Kyrie, and then Trey, and then Booker. But Kyrie has so much baggage that if I was taking right. players for my own team, then I would take the other three in a heartbeat before him. Fair enough. So I won't say to start your own team because Trey Young is the obvious guy. But if you just want to add to an already good team, I think Kyrie is the easy answer because he fits in more. He doesn't need the ball as much. But yeah, it's it's really, it depends. But 
I think Kyrie is somebody you can compare more to Mitchell and Booker. And I think at this point, I would take both Mitchell and Booker over Kyrie, but it's close. Yeah, no, I get it. It's Those are all right there. So the last one, Jason Tatum. Um, tough. I would, I would take, I would take Mitchell before Tatum. I just would. I think it's going to be the same. So I I think I'm going Mitchell, Tatum. No, actually, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm going, I'm going Mitchell, Trey, Booker, Tatum. I just haven't seen enough from Tatum in the playoffs to where I'm like, oh yeah, that's the guy I really want leading my team. I think he's awesome. And he has some explosions offensively in some games, but the facilitating and the overall playmaking that Mitchell, Trey, and Booker provide for the teams as a whole is more than just Tatum scoring. And when you get a lockdown defensive guy on you, it's important to be able to create for your teammates. I think I would take Tatum one, but I get what you're saying. It's it's close. It is. And what's weird is that if I told you that Jason Tatum was two years younger than both Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker, would you be like, really? Would you say, yeah, I knew that. I, no, I, it's that, surprising. That's something that's it's surprising. He's still yeah. 22. Yeah. But I think I would take Tatum because I like the size that he has, and I think he's probably the best defender of anybody that we named. Maybe Paul George is up there with him. But yeah, um, it, it's, it's really close. God. The Tatum defense, I, I know people have been hyping it up this year. It's yet to be seen for me, but whatever. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. I like it's now Mitch, Mitchell's defense. That's something that nobody talks about, but I think is really impressive. Yeah, he was he was a stud defensively coming out of college, and for some reason that kind of got lost once we started to see his offensive production. And uh, probably another reason is that he's in this jazz system that everybody says, of course his defense looks fine. He's Rudy Gobert. But now we see Rudy Gobert being exposed, and it's like, wait a minute. A lot of these Jazz defenders are individually great. Right. Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell. They're all really good defenders. But, yeah, so those are some close calls. Anybody else you want to throw in the, the mix here that you think is right around that range? Yeah, I got one for you. Jimmy Butler. Oof. Had an amazing finals run last year. Had a terrible playoffs this year. But was probably a top 10 player during the regular season. He's tough to rank right now. He has been up and down. He is the prime example of, well, I want to know who's on the team other than Jimmy Butler. Because if you need, like the current Miami Heat, probably are better off with Donovan Mitchell than Jimmy Butler, given their need for scoring. But overall, if I don't know who's on my team and I just need a guy, I'm taking Jimmy Butler still. The last his last season, the finals run was outstanding, statistically the best of all time, and I don't think that was a fluke. Jimmy Butler lives up to the moment, but if you're taking guys going forward, that's another story. He's way older than these guys, but right now, I'm still giving Butler the slight nod. Yeah, I agree. I think Jimmy stays there. It the gap got tight though. Oh, it did. It got yeah, very I've, tight. He was horrible this year, Jimmy Butler. He was. Playoffs, he was terrible. He was. So it's definitely close, but that's all that I can think of in that tier. I think Damian Lillard starts the tier above where you, you can't really drop him down. I'd still take Dame over these guys. 
Dame uh, is but, definitely there. I I mean, I'm a, yeah, no, Anthony Davis is ahead, but I would take Dame over Anthony Davis. Oh, it's at this point with injuries, I mean, who knows? Dame's been so awesome. So then so then which tier is Davis in? I would still say he's in the one above. Yeah, yeah. I no, I think Jimmy's the the guy in the top 10 that kind of is pushed outside the top 10 that that really you can compare to these guys, especially positionally. AD is kind of this this stretch five you could say but right those are all the guys i don't i don't really think there's anybody at the top of my head that i would even want to compare to these guys that we haven't named out mm. of fear yeah. of insulting just just group. a question zion not yet i gotta see more just, just like the whole he hasn't been in the post he hasn't been in the playoffs and and like i because zion has doubts defensively a lot of people aren't sure I kind of want to see him in the big stage when he needs to play defense. Right. And he needs to be efficient and he needs to step up in the clutch. And I, I, I got to see that first. He's too young. All right. Last one. Bradley Beal. That's a good one. There you go. That's the last one. It is. I think I've changed my mind on this because at the beginning of the season, I think I was close to putting Beal first. And. I would probably take everybody we named outside of maybe Paul George. I would take over PG. Bradley Beal. I, I think Beal may be last. Yeah, I agree. It's just th- there's no defense, and we haven't seen it in the playoffs yet. If anything, he's been he wasn't great in the playoffs this year, um, and I just I don't trust Bradley Beal yet. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably put him last. Yeah, me too. It's brutal. Now, now after. let's not let's remember that he's still a top twenty player, maybe top twenty five at, oh, at the worst. Course. But no, yeah, no, no, these I, I other think guys have twenty. Have I think he would be top twenty. These other guys have proven it. Like you said, Donovan Mitchell's been historically great in the playoffs. Devin Booker's been amazing this year. Trey Young has been sensational. I can't take Bradley Beal over these guys. No, the the other guys have just done too much recently in the postseason. Like we've seen it from them. And while we've seen a lot of Bradley Beal scoring in the regular season, that doesn't have the same impact. So one more part two of Towel Boy Takes of the Day special edition. We never do two. We're doing oh, two right this now. Is new. Because I thought of a great question. And I, I like this it. is gonna this might take you a few seconds to think of. I want All you right. to answer two questions, two short questions. Okay. Which of the players that we named, I'll 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 clarify, out of Jason Tatum, out of Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Trey Young. Because okay. those are really the, the four in the same age group. Yeah. yeah. Of those four, which is going to win the most championships and which is going to win the most MVPs? Okay. I mean, the easy answer is Devin Booker because he is looking like he might get a head start. I'm going to go with Tatum. I just feel like he's going to find his way onto a championship team somehow. Whether that's in Boston or not, he just seems like a guy that would pair up with the right player or find himself in the situation to be on a championship team. Donovan Mitchell, to me, seems like <laughs> maybe it's because he's on the Jazz. He seems like a guy that would just like always be right there but never get over the top. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Trey, I don't, as far as he's gotten this postseason, I don't know if this is replicable when other teams are healthy and get stronger themselves and whatnot. Booker 
is a good answer. Like I said, he's going to get a head start. But I just think Tatum is really going to position himself well in the league. And MVP? Mitchell will not win an MVP, in my opinion. Booker will not win an MVP, in my opinion. Um, So that's Tatum and Trey. Trey seems like a one MVP kind of guy. And Tatum seems... I initially thought he was going to win more. Now I'm going to go back to like a zero to one MVP kind of guy. So I think my answer would be Trey. Okay. So we have different answers for both of these. Cool. For the same reason that you said Donovan Mitchell will not win championships, I'm going to flip it. I do not see Donovan Mitchell staying long, long-term in Utah. <laughs> and for that reason, I think he'll join a better franchise and win two to three championships. I'm going Donovan Mitchell as a surprise pick for the most championships. He may be the underdog at this point. If there were odds on this, I'd say Devin Booker's probably the favorite because he's in the finals. Tatum's two because the world loves him for whatever reason. And then I'd probably say Trey Young's three after these playoffs, odds-wise, but I'm taking Mitchell because I don't think he's staying long-term. MVP-wise, I'm still on the Jason Tatum is going to be really, really good in the regular season train, and I think that you narrowed it down correctly to Trey Young and Tatum. I think those are the two guys who are more likely to win MVPs. However, I do think Tatum's going to edge him out by winning two. I don't think any of these players win more than two. I do think that Mitchell is very capable of winning one, and I'm not sure about Booker at this point. Because once you win a championship, something about the MVP race just doesn't, it's not the same. You just go for titles. Yeah. And it, like, uh, it's hard. Just, that could happen to Devin Booker. It's hard for me to imagine what Booker's career is going to be like post Chris Paul now, just because we've watched him be so successful off the ball. I don't know if that's going to be the model for him in the future, or if he's going to become like a point guard more so. I'm very interested to see that, but point guards have an advantage in that they are going to rack up assist numbers. And I just imagine Trey Young somehow getting to like 30 and 10 in the regular season. And you mean like he did this year? <laughs> in the regular season, though. Yeah. Did he get 30 and 10 this regular season? No, he did 20. He had 30 and 10 last year. Yeah, so I imagine him doing that on a good team in the future and potentially winning an MVP because those are MVP numbers. Yeah, no, it's very doable. Trey Young has, has probably had the most impressive stats for three years based on his growth and, and just what we think he can do going forward. So it's not a bad guess at all. Not a bad guess. But there it is. Any last words on this, on this, on anything we talked about, Landon? Come on, say something stupid. I know you want to. God. Um, the the Clippers should sell high on Paul George. Trade is it? I mean, is it selling high? I guess. <laughs> it is selling high. I, I think they should. I don't know if they could somehow get into the Damian Lillard sweepstakes with the Paul George trade. I mean, he's probably the best player that they would be able to get for Dame. I don't I mean, I don't know if they would want to rebuild if they're going to trade Dame or if they would want to try to compete with a Paul George CJ plus maybe some other asset they get in that deal, but I don't know. I just feel like now is the time to pair Kawhi with a point guard and get this two-wing 3 and D star 
build out of the way because that seems to not be working for them. Fair enough. My final point, the Atlanta Hawks, this is a special message to you. Assuming you get eliminated by the Milwaukee Bucks or even if you get eliminated by the Phoenix Suns, as long as you don't win, because if you win, then I take back what I say. If you lose, do not pull a Miami Heat and stand firm and be confident that you can run it back Trade a couple of your young pieces and go out and get Trey Young a secondary score that you can rely on. Because Agreed. if not, they're going to lose in the first round next year, just like the Miami Heat did this year. Couldn't agree more. They they need to do that, for sure. They do. And they have the pieces. They have a lot of guys like Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter even, who they can sell high on, who have looked good at times, looked right. really good. Even on Kongu, who I, I think they may actually want to keep long-term. But they have the pieces, and... I hate to spoil this because this may be in a future pod, but the guy I'm targeting that I've been targeting is Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors. I think would be a great fit into that Hawks team. That's my final word of the day. As He'd be always, interesting. He'd be interesting for sure. I mean, he would but be. that that means you would have to let John Collins go in free agency. And are you willing to we'll lose see if they an sign asset any- for nothing? I don't know. We will right. see. But thank you guys for listening as always. Stay up to date on social media. Go to Instagram. Go to Twitter. The Towel Boys. Pretty simple. Go to our website, thetowelboys.com. Breaking news. We are starting up an NBA blog where we will be writing articles. Very interesting articles, hopefully, because Landon and I were the best writers in all of Florida. We want yeah, to come sure. no, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're all right. But they will be interesting articles. We promise you that. They will be hot topics that we talk about. So... Watch out for that in the near future. And yeah, adios. Always remember to embrace your inner towel, boy.